Today, we begin an eight-week worship series called The Beatitudes, a metamorphosis of character. In this series, we will dig into the Beatitudes in an effort to uncover and fully receive the blessing available to each of us as we grow to be more and more like Jesus, who reveals God's nature to us through his faithfully lived life, a life that embodies the characteristics of those who belong to and live for God. Jesus speaks these words at the very beginning of his ministry, according to Matthew's gospel. Jesus has just returned from the wilderness where after his baptism, he was led in order to prepare spiritually for his ministry by fasting and by facing and mastering temptation. As we encounter him in our scripture today, he's by the Sea of Galilee where he has called his first disciples and the people have seen firsthand or heard about Jesus's profound teaching and his ability and willingness to cure every kind of sickness. He's famous. So a large crowd, curious about who he is, is gathered to see him and to listen to him for themselves. After climbing the hillside, he takes a seat and he settles in to teach and preach. You know, it's easy for us to forget sometimes that Jesus is a faithful Jew of his time who relates to the people as, among other things, a rabbi. Now, the Beatitudes are a preamble to the sermon that follows and is widely referred to now as the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are a preamble that will be unpacked throughout the rest of the sermon. It's tempting, I think, to imagine the Beatitudes as a laundry list of entrance requirements for the kingdom of heaven. But the Beatitudes are not imperatives. Jesus is not commanding us, not at least in these verses, to become poor in spirit, meek, hungry for righteousness, etc. The Beatitudes are structured grammatically as indicatives. His statements point to fact. He is stating the reality that those who find themselves in these roles or situations are blessed. And what's more, they're blessed by God. The blessings, they will be comforted, they will inherit the earth, they will be filled, and so on. In the original Greek are passive forms of the verbs in which there is no specifically assigned actor. This verb form in New Testament texts assumes God as the actor, so they're called divine passives. It is God who comforts, who fills, who gives mercy and all the rest. When we find ourselves in the various roles or circumstances indicated by the Beatitudes, it turns out that God is with us, providing what we need, drawing us into the kingdom of heaven. Now, later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus proclaims all sorts of imperatives as he commands us to live faithfully as the people of God, to cultivate the attitudes and actions that are characteristic of the children of God these characteristics laid out in the Beatitudes. But these first verses are simply statement of fact. Jesus lays out for his listeners, for you and for me, that the good news he's come to share is an invitation into a relationship that is not based on the values of this world. It's not based on values like wealth and status and power within what looks like 
curse to our eyes lies deep blessing because God is present with us. In the kingdom of heaven, everything is upside down, counterintuitive. We do not seek to bless ourselves by striving for wealth and power, by filling ourselves, by propping ourselves up. We are blessed both when we are and when we enter into and embrace and are present with the poor, the grieving, the meek, when we have pure hearts and seek peace and hunger for righteousness. Now we're going to take a deeper look at each of the Beatitudes over the course of these coming eight weeks. But for today, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? In Luke's gospel, we hear words similar to the Beatitudes in what are referred to as the blessings and woes presented in what we refer to now as his sermon on the plain rather than on the mount. Luke's gospel simply states, blessed are you who are poor, period. Luke doesn't qualify the experience of poverty. Some say that Luke emphasizes the literal economic dimension of poverty, whereas Matthew spiritualizes the Beatitudes. Others affirm that Matthew's phrase, poor in spirit, shifts the focus and expands its meaning without, however, excluding literal poverty. That sounds right to me. Matthew is writing his gospel for an audience made up primarily of Jews who are trying to evaluate whether Jesus is or is not the long-awaited Messiah the Torah points to. For this reason, Matthew makes frequent references to Hebrew scripture to make the case that Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture. Luke, on the other hand, primarily seeks to reach Gentiles or people who are not Jewish. And he's focused more on the social gospel as a means for drawing people to Christ. This is one possible explanation for Luke's decision to narrow his interpretation of poverty. There are so many ways that we can experience poverty. I mean, certainly there is the literal experience of being economically disadvantaged that often leaves people behind and overlooked, subjects them to all sorts of vulnerabilities. And we are called by God throughout scripture and in Matthew's gospel to be present with the poor in the same way that God is present, sharing in one another's pain and by carrying each other's burdens. It is also possible to experience poverty in other ways. We can be emotionally impoverished. We can be relationally impoverished and certainly spiritually impoverished, just to name a few. The danger of being poor in spirit is that oftentimes we don't recognize our poverty and we don't understand or acknowledge that we are in need, that we're in need of anything really. I mean, we think we're pretty self-sufficient, but most especially, we lose sight of the fact that we are in need of God if we are to be blessed. In the book of Revelation, in the third chapter, these words are spoken as Christ's words to the church in Laodicea. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The church in Laodicea is an affluent church, but poor morally and spiritually. 
their wealth blinds them to their spiritual need because by all appearances and by the world's standards, they're doing great. Matthew makes a similar point much later in his gospel when he recounts the story of the rich young man who asks Jesus what he must do to enter the kingdom of God. He claims to faithfully keep all of the commandments, but when Jesus asks him to give up his possessions and to give them to the poor, he's unwilling or incapable. So he walks away grieving, Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says. He says this to remind us from the very beginning of a foundational truth. We all are in need of God. Without God, there is no blessing. And the extent to which we are able and willing to acknowledge our deep need for our divine creator is the extent to which we are able to experience God's presence with us, a presence that empowers us to be present in the same way to one another's needs so that we might all be blessed. Today, later in the service, we will celebrate this year's confirmands. I'm deeply encouraged by the characteristics that I see formed and forming in each of them as they take this important step in their faith journey. They are choosing through their public profession of faith to grow in their ability to be more and more present to God by being present with all of God's children, those who are poor, who mourn, the meek, the hungry, the thirsty. They long to be more merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. As we witness their faith proclamation and receive them as full members of Westlake United Methodist Church into this community of God's beloved people, may we all experience metamorphosis and be transformed more and more into God's image as characterized by Jesus's life, ministry, death, and resurrection. Thanks be to God. Amen.